and we're in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, uh, page 178 in the Pew Bible, Deuteronomy 6, 178. Last Sunday, Jeremy preached through the whole chapter, and he asked me this Sunday to come back over those, uh, what he calls sort of the nougat center of the chapter, the uh, verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. Those famous verses called the Shema, hear, O Israel. Um, we have a tendency to forget that love needs to know no limits. And we set limitations on love. And that's corrosive to love. It ruins love. It's the opposite of love. It's unlove, and it leaves us unloved and alone. We have to learn to love. So let's hear these two great verses. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And may these words be uh, a refreshment to us and a reminder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this call to love you, to put you above all else in our hearts and above anything that we could imagine because you are God. So, Father, work in our lives today. Speak to us. You, the King of kings, who command this great love from us. We thank you for your great love toward us. So work in our lives by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, he's a little man, but um, he's a big hero. And uh, I, uh, he, he flew bombing missions during World War II. He was riding in one of those glass bubbles at the bottom of one of the jets, uh, one of the, the bombers, uh, sitting in there with a, a high-caliber machine gun. He had his, his share of blood-curdling uh, bombing missions. But that's not what uh, draws my admiration. I met Hank and his wife here at this church and uh, such a sweet, tender, encouraging, warm couple. And uh, the, the, the moment that, that I'm thinking of right now, one of the memories I have of Hank, is in the nursing home. And Jet lay on the bed and she wasn't eating anymore. You know, the Alzheimer's had progressed to the point. She didn't know anybody. She didn't know anything. And she wasn't even responsive. We prayed for her. But, uh, you know, just seeing that same tenderness, that same love and attentiveness in Hank's face as he cared for his wife. He had um, tried to care for her at home you know, to the end, but it became obvious that it wasn't going to work. The two of them were in danger, and, you know, we were, we were getting phone calls of emergencies taking place and, you know, accidents happening in the home. So finally, she had to be put into a nursing home, and the only place to do it was all the way in Worcester. And so what Hank did is he moved into an apartment across the way. He personally cared for his wife to the very end. Excuse me. So he, he taught me 
that love has to go to the limits. Love has to reach its limits, and love can't can't stop short. And that's what God is calling from us today. He's calling for us to love him to the limit and to not put short limitations on our love for God. And so this is, this is the verse that we read. And the first thing that he does is he gives us the reason and then he gives us the, the measure. The reason is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then the measure, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so what we, what we see here is that because the Lord is, uh, you know, a God without limits, he is the unlimited God, so we should love him without limits. God is a God uh, who is absolute, who reigns over all. He has no companion, no rival. And so our love to him needs to be without mixture, without combination. Uh, It needs to be pure and it needs to be absolute. It needs to be a love beyond what we can generate. We need to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. So look first with me at verse 4, and I want us just to look briefly at the motive, and then we're going to spend most of our time looking at verse 5 and seeing the measure of the love that we ought to have for God. So verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then if you look at the end of verse 4, you'll see a little letter A in the New International Version, and that's showing us that there's a footnote. So this is one of those verses that's a little bit hard to interpret. Uh, I never realized that until I you know, came and studied it for this sermon. But Hebrew is sometimes a little bit clipped. And they, they often leave off the word is. And it's sort of assumed that you, you supply the word is. But the trouble is, in this verse, it's a little hard to see exactly where to put the word is. And then the word one can actually have different meanings. And it seems to have a a little bit of a different meaning in this verse. So if you look at the footnote with me, you'll see some of the different ways of interpreting it. The the New International Version says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it could also be, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Or, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And I think, along with some of the commentators, that that last one is getting closer to the right meaning. So I guess, you know, who am I? You know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't know a lot of of Hebrew. And so my opinion about the interpretation of this verse probably isn't very significant or important. But since I'm preaching the sermon, you're going to have to listen to my opinion so that I can, you know, help you apply it and we can move ahead. So I think that when it says the Lord is one, that's a very literal translation, that what it's saying is that the Lord is the only one, that the Lord is alone. And the reason I think that is because there is no challenge anywhere in Old Testament religion or in the environment around them to the idea that God is a consistent singular personality. 
Nobody's trying to say that God has a split personality. That wasn't one of the errors that was going around in those times. So I don't see why it's really important for God to clarify that, hey, I'm actually a singular individual. I'm not a committee. Um, and then secondly, there's no parallel. If, you know, this verse is kind of a summary of the whole Old Testament and of the whole law. And we would expect, you know, one of these summary statements has been taken as a summary by, you know, interpreters for, for thousands of years. We would expect such a summary to be repeated elsewhere. But where do we read in the Old Testament, hey, the Lord is not multiple, but the Lord is a, a unity. He is singular. It's not there. And so I think that what we do find is the challenge that people are saying the Lord is one of many. That the Lord is one along with many other gods. He has a lot of competitors. There are other gods out there to choose from and the Lord is one. And he's a good God. He's a fine God. You should worship him, but you should also pay attention to these others. That is the challenge that the Lord is constantly faced with. And then the parallel to the idea that the Lord is alone, that the Lord is the only God, you find that repeated over and over throughout the book of Deuteronomy and throughout the, the Old, Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. Would you just look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a few verses later, at verse 13. And here is an example of... Uh, saying that the Lord is the only God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 13, 14, 15. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Don't mess with other gods. That's the parallel. Because that's the challenge. Uh, look back with me into uh, chapter 4. Flip back a couple pages. Chapter 4, verse 33. And here is the, the whole context um, that the Lord is God. This is the story. This is the narrative. This is the idea that God wants to impress on the minds of his people starting with verse 33. Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God, besides him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire. Get the message that the Lord alone is God. He looks around with the eyes of God to see if there is any. And he cannot find another. He is the only God. And... Uh, so because he is the only God, it makes sense that we should love him absolutely. Because he is the absolute God, he has an absolute claim on us, and we need to love him with all our heart, 
soul, and strength. So the Lord is, is the living God. I find the same kind of use, actually, uh, again, uh, th- that word one, the Lord is one. I find a, a similar use of that word one about the Lord in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name the only name. So the idea that the Lord is one is the idea that he's the only one. He is alone and we need to look to him and not any other. Not the idea that he's not a split personality. So, this one God, this one absolute God, we ought to love him. Why? Because he has loved us. And that's what it says here in verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. He is our God. This absolute God has taken all of his infinite power, infinite wisdom and majesty, his, uh, his goodness, and he has put it all at the service of being our God, of being God for us, such that when we pray, We have a God that we pray for, a God who hears, a God who answers, a God who is with us. He is our God, O Israel. And how was Israel to know? Why why could Israel call him our God? Because he brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them. And so the Exodus, that story of what he did to make them his people, is the reason why they know that he is their God. And you, you need to know that he is your God. He is the one who has acted in time and in history. Not, not, not at the Exodus, he didn't bring you and me out of Egypt. But he acted on the cross. To lay claim on every one of us that, that he will be our God and that we should be his people. And so God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Uh, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so all people are called to have faith in him, to let him be their God, to be their God. What amazing love is this. What a redemption. What a redemption to sing about. And what a response it calls for from us. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at. C.T. Studd, a a great missionary, um, he was one of the Cambridge Seven when Hudson Taylor came to England from China and, you know, talked about the need for the gospel to go out, you know, to a thousand villages that never heard. Uh, uh, C.T. Studd was one of those. He was a he was a sports star. He was a great cricketer. I know we all love cricket, don't we? And uh, so he was, you know, he was one of the idols of of England. And he joined and he went. And uh, C.T. Studd, you know, a tremendous career of service and started a, another evangelistic organization. And uh, he said one of his uh, pit, great pithy sayings, if, sayings: If Jesus Christ be God and died for me then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And so God's love to us 
calls for love. Let's look at verse 5. He calls for us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So first, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And um, I think that what this is getting at is that you don't, uh, you don't have any reservations. You love him without any limiting conditions. You don't say, well, I, I will love God and see how it works out. If it works out well, you know, we'll continue on with this thing. We'll sort of give him a trial period, a probationary period. No, no. You love him without any conditions. You don't love God and say, well, I'll love him, but I'm not going to obey him in this area. I don't appreciate his teaching about that. So let me kind of pick and choose. You know, I don't want him to speak to my sex life. I don't want him to speak to me about my money or my, perhaps it's my family. You pick one area. You say, everything else is fair game, but just this one area, uh, there's a limitation here. This, the condition is that you don't touch that place. And that's the one area God will lay claim to. So no, no conditions. We've got to love him with all our heart. You can't hold something back. You can't have something hidden. You can't have some uh, provisos or uh, conditions. Love the Lord with all your heart. What is your heart? What is, it, what is that talking about? I think that when, when the Old Testament and, and especially Moses, when, when he talks about our heart, what he's really talking about is not kind of the same thing that we mean when we use the word heart these days. You know, oh, my heart really went out to him. Or, um, oh, you know, my heart was just, was just moved or my heart was grieved. That's more expressing emotion. And I think that what we keep finding as we look at the uses of the heart in the Old Testament is that the heart is the seat of the inner thinking, the inner person, and the will, the decisions, the decision-making center. So it's more like what we think of as mind and will. Uh, that's what they're thinking of when they talk of the heart. So uh, people uh, in Deuteronomy says, don't say to yourself this and say to yourself that. Literally, in the original languages, do not say in your heart this and that and the other thing. Do not say in your heart you know, who will ascend to heaven and bring the message down to us. To speak in your heart is to speak secretly the things that only you know, the place where you deliberate, where you decide, where you figure things out. Uh, that, in Hebrew, is the heart. Uh, when God talks about the corruption of, of mankind on the earth, in Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, he says, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The heart is not just the place where we think and decide, but it's the moral center of the person. The heart is responsible. It's the source of being upright in heart or being guilty and blamable. So it's not like when I feel something in my heart, I can't really be quite so much to blame for feeling something, but for thinking in my heart and for deciding and for purposing in my heart. 
well, that, that's a, a different matter. I'm much more responsible for those things. So David was upright in heart. David was a man after God's own heart. There were people who were you know, bright examples of love for God, even though they failed in the Old Testament. We can learn the most from the Old Testament, I think, by their example of failure. We can learn from other people's mistakes. And so I want us just to look at, at some of the failures of Israel's love for the Lord. Failures that started in their heart. What are your secret thoughts? Do you have secret plans? Do you have conditions that you've laid down that you will love the Lord this far and no further? That you will love the Lord if... Listen to, to, to what Israel did uh, and, the, and the failures in their love. Their love was shallow. You remember the book of Judges. Whenever Israel was doing well, they would wander off to all the other gods. But then God would hand them over to their enemies and they would experience all kinds of disasters and calamities and their enemies would take over the land and they would cry out to the Lord. They would come back to God in the hard times. And God would be merciful and gracious and he would send them a deliverer. And the deliverer would lead them in fighting against their enemies. And then they would have peace in the land. And then what? Well, then they stop crying out to the Lord and they go back to the other gods. Their love was shallow. It was fading and temporary. Uh, Israel's love was a shallow love, like the love of King Amaziah. It was said of him in Second Chronicles 25, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Israel's love was shallow, and Israel's love was diluted. It was mixed. And so Elijah called Israel together onto Mount Carmel, and he said, we're going to have a contest between the Lord and Baal. And we're going to decide who is God. And he, he came to the people and he challenged them that their love was diluted, that they were mixed. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And so uh, their love was mixed. They were trying to ride two horses. They were, they were on both sides of the fence. Their love was shallow, their love was mixed, their love was unfaithful. And so God uh, cries out in the book of Isaiah, the first verses of the book, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So if we don't love the Lord with our heart, then our heart is turning away from Him. We have to love Him with our whole heart. We can't compromise with the absolute God. He calls 
for everything. So unfaithful love was Israel's downfall. Shallow love, deluded love, unfaithful love, external love. Doesn't this one hit home for us? Formality and uh, the, the desire to impress people. Saul, uh, when he had sinned and when the prophet came and challenged him, he said, uh, I've sinned. But please, honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So there, there, there are all these ways that, that Israel came short. And we're in danger of coming short if we're not truly coming short uh, in all of these ways. Guard your heart. Would you uh, just keep Deuteronomy 6 there? Could you flip over to Deuteronomy 17? In the Pew Bible, you'll find this on page uh, 188, 189. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 15. When Israel would have a king in the land and what the king would need to do and what the king needs to do, above all else, is guard his heart. And don't you, you who reign in the kingdom of Christ as a child of God, don't you need to guard your heart the way an Israelite king would have needed to do? Listen to the instructions. Deuteronomy 17:15, page 189. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you or one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, verse 16, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you're not to go back that way again. It's so easy to trust in horses and all kinds of equipment and supplies. Verse 17, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And it's so easy with the the desires of life and the relationships and the desire to please people, to put the Lord uh, behind and our heart to be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold and possessions can be a trap and a snare. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests or Levites and is to be with him and he's to read it. Here's a way we can guard our hearts. So, We have to put the Lord first. We have to love him with all our heart. We have to eliminate the conditions. We have to give him the blank check with the the valid signature on it and hand it over to him and say, Lord, whatever you would do with my life, take my life and do it. So we're called to love the Lord with all our heart, with no reservations. No limiting conditions. And we're called to love the Lord with all our soul. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Uh, So, uh, what is a soul? Psalm 103 says, uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What is a soul? How do we love the Lord God with our soul? 
I think that what a soul is in the Hebrew language back in that time is really what we mean when we say the heart. The thing that throbs, the thing that gets filled, the thing that gets enlarged, the thing that gets hard, the thing that gets moved. You know, it's, it's the emotions. The soul is like the, the vital essence of the life where things happen within us. It's the juices. It's the gut. You have a feeling in your gut, a tightening in your chest. You know, these, these emotions that we feel in our bodies. This is the soul in, uh, in ancient Hebrew language. So our, uh, our heart and our soul is maybe what we would say is we have to love the Lord God with our head and our heart. But it's a different language. So it's with the heart that is with all the intention of your inner being and with the soul. All your, all your, uh, your vitality, all your emotions, your whole uh, insides get involved. You have to love God without uh, without reserve. You can't be reserved and love the Lord your God. You can't love the Lord your God and have it be neat and tidy in a particular part of your life and you don't get emotional. You know, if you really love God, you become a little bit of a crazy religious person. And that's what it means. You've got to love Him with your soul. You've got to get Get your juices flowing. you got to feel it. You know, we're like the tin man. We're kind of frozen in position. And we need someone to kind of oil something so we can begin to love the Lord and begin to, to overflow with gratitude, with joy, with peace. This is what the soul is. Listen to some uh, examples of the soul in, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55. Souls delight. And so in Isaiah 55, God says, Come, to, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Souls desire. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, God tells them, Take the money from your tithe, you know, the silver, and you bring it to the place I will set aside, and then use the silver to buy whatever you like, literally, in the, if you read a literal translation like the King James, whatever your soul desires. If your soul desires cattle or sheep or wine or other fermented drink or whatever your soul desires, uh, then you and your household will eat and be blessed. So souls desire. You have emotions. That's what a soul is. I feel like some uh, hamburger or whatever it would be. Souls long for things. Uh, listen to Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Souls get downcast and disturbed. Same Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Souls loathe, souls detest, souls get in anguish and distress, souls rejoice, souls become bitter, souls experience all these emotions. Your soul is your emotional life. And you've got to get 
connected with God. You can't be detached. You've got to be involved. Loving God is a personal relationship. You can't do it by remote control. But you've got to get personally involved with God. And uh, boy, one way to do that, that's what prayer is all about. Well, God's people can become detached. And Israel became detached. Listen to some of the some of the ways Israel failed. Again, let's learn from other people's mistakes. That's the great thing about the Old Testament. Um, God's people became detached. When Elijah came onto Mount Carmel, he called all the people together. He said, we're going to have a contest between the Lord and Baal. Remember what happened? And they, they, they set up the sacrifice for Baal. They set up the altar, but no fire. And they called upon Baal to bring fire, and no one answered. And then the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah came and and he set up the Lord's altar and he put the sacrifice there and they dumped water on it. And he called on the name of the Lord and said, now you're turning the hearts of these people back to you. Lord, answer by fire. And the Lord sent the fire and it consumed the sacrifice and it burned up the rocks. It licked up all the water. When Elijah challenged them, You're wavering between two gods. Listen to what they said. But the people said nothing. What did they say? They were detached. He stands there and he says, You're not loving the Almighty God. And what did they say? Yeah, nothing. But when they saw the fire... And when the people saw all this and, the, and everything consumed by the fire from heaven, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Their hearts got involved, their souls, their emotions got involved. They were, they were moved, they were excited, they were wiped out. Uh, just couldn't handle it. They were engaged. So there's that danger of becoming detached. Formality. The Lord says, Isaiah 29, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So there's a danger of being detached. And uh, we need to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our inmost being, with our decisions, with our wills, with our minds. And we need to love the Lord with our soul with all the vitality within us, with our feelings. We need to be connected. We need to be involved. We need to roll up our sleeves and uh, get get involved. Deuteronomy 4.4 tells us uh, to hold fast to the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.4. I love the, the, the literal, the King James... Uh, translation of this um, to cleave to the Lord to stick to him like glue we have to love the Lord we have to stick to him like glue that, that phrase to, to hold fast to the Lord to cleave to the Lord it's repeated about five times in the book of Deuteronomy don't be detached but hold fast to the Lord get your soul involved get your emotions involved in loving the Lord and look at verse 9 Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. God tells us to watch our souls. To watch out for our souls. 
Here's what it says in the NIV. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. The word soul is in there and also the word heart. The word soul here in the NIV is translated self. To guard yourself and watch yourself closely. Be careful and watch yourself, your soul closely. Watch your heart. Watch your feelings. Watch your emotions. You've got to corral yourself. That's what self-control is. It's, you've you got to manage these emotions. You can't just let them run all over the place or they'll run away with your heart. But you have to, you have to guide your heart. You, like you have to train a vine in the, uh, in, in the uh, garden. You have to train your heart and move it, teach it the direction it needs to go so that you love the things that you ought to love. So hold fast to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So love the Lord with all your heart and there, there can be no reservations. Love the Lord with all your soul without reserve and love the Lord with all your strength without setting aside any reserves. We have to love the Lord completely. Throw yourself in completely with all your strength. There's nothing set aside for another option. There is no rainy day fund in case the Lord doesn't work out. I'm not saving something uh, over here that is not really for the Lord because it's in case God doesn't come through. But I'm throwing everything in. I'm loving Him with all my strength. Everything that I have access to, every opportunity I have, every faculty, every gift, everything I can lay my hands on, it's all for the Lord and for no one else. This is to love the Lord with all your strength. That one's easy to interpret. It's not so easy to do. We have to love the Lord with all our strength. It's all or nothing. It's like going into battle. If you don't win then you die. Uh, Look with me at Luke chapter 14. Uh, The teachings of Jesus. And uh, you'll find this on page uh, 1034. Luke 14, starting on verse 25. So Jesus... uh, call people to love him with all their strength because Jesus is God he is God in the flesh God is not radically one but God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit three in one and Jesus calls every disciple to love him with all their strength and he says there's no other way if you don't throw in everything then you're not a disciple at all listen to what he says Luke 14:25 Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said something that would surely encourage even larger crowds to come Aren't large crowds a wonderful thing Jesus must have been flattered to have this great following it must have been so satisfying for him so he turns and he says 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Uh, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man will be handed over. So take up your cross and follow me. Oh boy, this is going to win a lot of followers. He's saying you've got to pay everything. You want to be a Christian, you want to be united with Christ. What did Christ come to do to lay down his life for us? Are you ready to lay down your life for the people of God? For Christ, for God's call, for God's purpose? Are you ready to love him? Are you ready to be united with him, the one who died? in obedience to the Father. Wow. So Jesus illustrates, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost, see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, he's not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Are you going to be a Christian? Are you going to follow Christ? Are you ready to pay the price? You've got to put in everything. It's like another teaching of Jesus, you know, you, you find that treasure hidden in a field. You want it. It's so wonderful. You're so excited. You, you cover it back up and you go off to buy the field. How much does it cost? That much? Man, I can come up with about half of that. Let me see. What else can I sell? You have to sell and sell and sell until you sell everything. You sell yourself into slavery. You sell everything and you're able to come up with the money and you buy the field. And now you've got it. And you've got nothing else. But you've got that treasure. To get the kingdom of heaven, it's going to cost everything. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. Philippe Petit took his life in his hands when he stepped out to begin his walk between the twin towers of the World Trade Center. It was not 9-11. It was 27 years before that when the towers were being built. Uh, Petit first learned about the twin towers in a magazine that he picked up in the dentist's office. And he read about it and he became fascinated with this amazing structure that was being built in New York City. And uh, I learned about uh, Philippe Petit and, and his, his walk when I uh, saw a movie called Man on Wire. Fascinating movie. Um, so the, the reason that, that Philippe had to take his life in his hands in order to begin this walk was that his, his walk was taking place at 1,348 feet above the ground on a three-quarter inch cable that he and his friends had smuggled up to the top of one of the towers and had somehow managed to string between the two towers and anchor there. The thing weighed 450 pounds. And they did this very, very, very early in the morning. And at 7.15 a.m., Philippe Petit stepped out onto the wire with a 50-pound bar that he had specially made to balance. And he went out there and uh, he didn't just walk 
But he danced for 45 minutes and he did all kinds of things. Immediately the police were up there and they're standing at the end and he would sort of come close to them and they'd kind of try to reach out to get him and then he would go back and he's smiling and laughing and waving and talking to a, a, a seagull that was flying around his head. It's terrifying, but he, he took his life in his hands to do this. One false step. You know, those towers sway in the wind when the wind blows. What if there was a sudden gust? What if something big happened? And he had figured it all out, he and his friends, and he stepped out. God has your cable. He's holding it tight. He'll keep you balanced. But the balance costs everything. You've got to love him with all your heart, with all your soul. If anything comes and intervenes or intrudes, it's got to go. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you'll get across. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his great love. That he loved the Father. And that the Father loved the Son. We thank you that love comes from God. And Father, thank you that you've loved us that you sent your Son for us, and that you've made yourself our God, that we can call on you. So, Lord, be with us, that we might be your people. Work in us by your Spirit. Renew our hearts by your Spirit. Send your Spirit on us to revive our souls, that we might be filled with love for you. Give us wisdom to count everything else worthless, dust, dross, trash, as long as we can love you and serve you with all our heart, soul, and strength. Work your will in our lives, we pray. To the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ. Amen.